You're listening to a podcast from York City Church. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at www.yorkcitychurch.org.uk. Morning, everyone. Morning, everyone. Morning, everyone. Morning to you, sir. Um, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I think I, I can't quite remember when it was, but I, I think it's at least two years ago I was last here. I love coming to be with you guys. Um, so thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this. The last time I was here, you really, really helped me um, because I had just started writing my book. Writing my book. Isn't that, whoa, it's amazing. Called to be friends, unlocking the heart of John's gospel. Um, and a friend of mine suggested that, that what I should do when I was writing was actually preach it as well, preach bits of it, and then ask for immediate feedback. And I don't know if you were part of that group when I last came, um, but it, I, I found it incredibly helpful. And uh, I, there's a whole little section which, uh, when I read it, I think of you, because... Um, the feedback from, from here said, I should do a bit more on that. So I did. Uh, and I'm going to speak out of John's Gospel today. And uh, the author of the, of the Gospel of John is probably the closest friend that Jesus ever had. You know, an unnamed disciple appears right at the beginning of the Gospel in chapter 1. It's the first thing that Jesus does. He invites two people around his house for a late lunch and a long chat. And we get to know one of the disciples who, who, who was there, that's Andrew, but we never get to know the name of the other one. And that's a way of the author putting himself into the story, but in a really modest, unassuming, quiet way, because he doesn't want attention to be drawn to him, he wants all the attention to go to Jesus. And in chapter 13, this unnamed disciple who appears all the way through the narrative, he acquires something of an identity. He becomes the, he's called the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we don't have any time this morning to kind of dive into the depths of all that's sit, sitting beneath that. Uh, but that description does suggest very strongly that he and Jesus were close. You know, to call yourself the, the disciple whom Ian loved, you know, that's really something. And that's the name he takes for himself. That's as far as he's going to let us know about who he is. And in chapter 13, this disciple whom Jesus loved leans back against the bosom of Jesus. He leans right back on him. They were close. Now, he is at the cross. He is the only male disciple at the cross. He's got political collections. Uh, he's, he's above and beyond arrest. He, he goes to the cross. And whilst Jesus is dying the most humiliating and terrible and painful of deaths, Jesus from the cross gives his mother into the care of that disciple. And he gives that disciple into the care of his mother. He brings them together as a new family and from that time the disciple whom Jesus loved took Jesus mother into his house so chapter 21 of the gospel tells us that this disciple is behind the book 
This disciple is the one who's written these things. And so sitting behind the writing of John's gospel are the two people in the world who know Jesus the best. That is really something. You think, okay, that's great, but it's all very well for them. But what about for me? How can I get close to Jesus? How can I be a disciple whom Jesus loves? How can I build that kind of friendship with Jesus? You know, when we make friends with each other, there are all kinds of things we do, aren't there? We go for walks, we go for coffees, we go for beers. And all of those things are really about something else. They're about me talking to you about who I am and where I've come from. You know, how do I get to know Alan? How does Alan get to know me? Well, I hear Alan's story. I tell you who I am. You tell me who you are. And as we do that, we start to build up a picture of who we are. We start to, we start to find out the person who's there. Because all of us, when we do stuff, we do it in a kind of moderately consistent manner. So when you get to hear the things I've done and see the things I've done and hear my story, when you watch me in action, you can work out who I am. And we then begin to feel quite close. We even get engaged. <laughs> and the Gospel of John has been written very beautifully, very elegantly for that to happen between you and Jesus. It's been written like a beautiful house where as we go inside, we don't just hear the story of Jesus and what happened in the past. We be meet the person of Jesus and find out that he loves us and that we can be his friends. We too can be the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's a phenomenal thing. And that is why the disciple whom Jesus loved wrote his gospel. And this is, that's the idea I explore in my book. And it's it, where I, I try and take you into a journey deeper into the gospel. I try and get you to dive into the gospel. And um, David Ford, who, um, who was with us in Durham uh, this week actually, he's the Regis Professor of Divinity Emeritus at Cambridge University, which means he's like scholarly. And he spent all his life significantly researching and thinking about the Gospel of John. His commentaries just come out, actually. He says this about, about my book. He says this, The secret of the Gospel of John is that by reading it slowly and attentively, you can not only meet the living Jesus, but you can grow into a deeper and deeper friendship with him. Isn't that phenomenal? By going into the Gospel... You're not just sort of reading about the past. You're meeting a person. And you can find yourself growing deeper and deeper in friendship with him. Ian Galloway opens up the secret in a vivid, accessible and surprising way. How brilliant is that? You see, John's Gospel tells us that friendship with Jesus was not something that was confined to the disciples of the incarnate Jesus. Friendship with Jesus is very much available to all who follow Jesus. In fact, the conclusion that John comes to in his Gospel is it's better for us now. We have a better access to the person of Jesus now than the followers of Jesus in the flesh. So let's go inside, shall we? Let's go inside. Let's dive into 
one of these stories. We're going to be looking at the story of the woman at the well in chapter 4. And if you've got a Bible on your phone or maybe even a real sort of printed thing, um, I suggest that you have it before you. The text will come up on the screen, but you know, you might not be able to read it. It's in quite small type. So I've got eight things I'm going to say from this story in the next half an hour. So we better pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have called us to know you. You've called us to love you and you've called us to be loved by you. And we pray that this morning that would deepen in all our hearts. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. First thing, it's a God-given moment. Oh, no. First thing, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing, how this is going to work. In true John style, we're going, to, we're going to look at this story at three levels simultaneously, okay? We're going to look at what actually happens in the story, number one. Number two, we're going to look at what happens if when we meet Jesus and become his friend. We're going to explore the story from the point of view of the woman. We're going to put us, us in her position. And then number three, we're going to think about how we can be like Jesus. How we can help others to become his friend. Because after all, that's our calling. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Jesus introduced people into friendship with God by making them friends of himself. And that's our calling. So we're going to look at it from that point of view as well. So number one, it's a God-given moment. Verses 1 to 8. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. You know, so many different things come together to enable the woman to meet with Jesus. This is a God-given moment. People are starting to follow Jesus and learn from him and Jesus' existing disciples baptize them. This was a Jewish tradition. When you were baptized or washed in this way, it was a way of saying, I've moved from one reality to another reality. It was what sociologists call a liminal space. It was a way of moving from one existence to another existence. When the king became king, he was baptized. When the priests went into the holy place of the temple, they were, they were washed, they were baptized. And these people were saying, we are now washed, we are, we are followers of Jesus now. That's what they're saying. Now the Pharisees hear about this. And we know from other stories they're getting pretty angry about everything Jesus is doing. We have this great little detail in the story. The Pharisees heard. Well, Jesus heard that the Pharisees had heard. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard. It's a really interesting little uh, detail. And I wonder who told him. 
what the Pharisees were thinking. But leaving that aside, Jesus decides to move out of town and go to a safer place. He goes up to the north, to Galilee. Galilee was outside the political control of the Pharisees, who were all getting all agitated. And he decides to go the direct route. You could go a longer route, avoiding Samaria. But he says, no, we're going the quick way through Samaria. We're taking the shortcut. Gets to the middle of the day. Jesus is tired. The disciples are hungry, being men. They can't decide what to do for lunch. So they all go into town as a whole group together. They can't trust one another to buy a proper lunch, so they all go for the lunch together, which leaves Jesus all by himself, alone, by a well, possibly even on the well, when a Samaritan woman comes to collect water. Now, it's not the time to collect water. It's noon. It's very, very hot. You don't collect water at noon because water is very, very heavy. And you get very, very hot and tired carrying it in the heat of the day. And you do it when the sun comes up and you do it as a group. Now, that's partly because that's when everyone else does it. And it's partly because it's a social event. You help one another. It's very, very heavy work. But you also have a great gossip and catch up on all the news of what's happening in the town. But this woman comes to the well on her own at noon. And all these things come together to create the moment. The baptisms, the Pharisees. The, the shortcut to safety, the well, the difficulties about deciding about lunch, the woman who comes at the wrong time, they all come together to put the woman and Jesus on their own together. It's a God moment. So let's think about you meeting with Jesus yourself. Let's think about that happening. Maybe lots of things have come together for you to be here right now. Maybe all kinds of things have happened that made you walk in that door right now. Maybe without knowing it. Maybe without you planning it. Jesus is sitting here waiting to meet you. That's the kind of Jesus that he is, waiting to meet you. And let's think about it from the point of view of us being like Jesus. Let's think of it about us helping others to find friendship with Jesus. You know, friendships often begin in unexpected places. How open are you to God moments? How open are you to God bringing somebody into your life unexpectedly? Can you see beyond the changes in schedule and the lack of the lunch, are you open to people suddenly arriving in your life and connecting with them that they might find Jesus too? How open are you when you're tired and hungry? 
to somebody coming into your life? Not very. Well, repent. (laughs) Number two, Jesus steps forward. This is verse seven to nine. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Number two, Jesus steps forward. The social conventions of this time demanded that when the woman approached the well, Jesus withdraw, would, should withdraw 20 meters at least and turn his back on the woman. That was the social convention, meaning that's what everybody did. Now, there's something about that which makes us a little bit angry. It's a bit like the situation now developing in Afghanistan. You know, we don't educate the women. We don't treat the women with the quality. They're just there to carry the water and have the children. But there's also something good about this social convention because it protects women. Because everybody's expected to behave like this, it keeps Women away from difficult men in public contexts. And that is a massive problem in our society right now. 61,000 rapes reported in the UK last year, of which only 1.5% resulted in a conviction. So let's not get too upset about this social convention. It also protects women from men and that's needed. But the thing I want you to notice is what Jesus does, he steps right over the social convention. He steps right over The expectation. Now, he remains within the purpose of the social convention. The purpose of the convention is to keep women safe. And Jesus keeps this woman safe all the way through the story. He treats her very tenderly with great respect, kindness, equality, and grace. The social convention is there to keep the woman safe. Jesus does that, but there is no way he is going to stay apart from her. There's no way he's going to walk 20 meters away, turn his back and ignore her. He steps towards her. He, become, he comes startlingly close. When you think of what the woman was expecting him to do, he comes startlingly close towards her. But he does it in a way that's so empowering. He asks her to help him. You know, can you get, do you mind giving me a drink? That's a shocking thing to do, but it's also an empowering thing to do. So let's think about your friendship with Jesus, shall we? Let's think about you being friends with Jesus. Maybe Jesus is asking you to do that right now. Maybe Jesus is coming startlingly close to you right now, but he's doing it in a way that's safe. 
He's doing it in a way that brings you dignity. He's doing it in a way that empowers you. Maybe you can sense him asking you to help him. And let's think about how we might follow Jesus and be like him in this. You know, there are several ways of stepping towards other people in ways that empower them and keep them safe. Inviting people to serve alongside you. Inviting people to help you. Getting them to contribute what they can contribute. Deliberately stepping across the, the, the natural human barriers of race or culture or language. Deliberately stepping across them all the time. That's how friendships get going. How are you at stepping towards people who are not like you? To whom there might be barriers, natural human barriers between you. What happens when they come in to the church community? Are you stepping towards them? Maybe startlingly, but wonderfully and empoweringly and safely. Number three, Jesus offers life. And we're now, verses 10 to 15. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where will you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. The woman is still trying to process the fact that a Jewish man has just spoken to her. And Jesus just lets that hang in the air. He just carries on talking and one surprise is quickly followed by another. Because what he says to her is, look, I'm asking you for a drink. But if you asked me for a drink, I would give you a drink. And it's a drink of living water. Now, she is a bold woman. She's got over the initial shock and she engages. She has a go at him. Number one, we have established that you don't have a bucket with you. <laughs> Hopeless. And number two, who do you think you are? You know, this well came from our patriarch father figure, Jacob, very famous in history. He's the well provider. He's the water provider in our community. Are you at Jacob's level? I don't think so, is the unspoken conclusion. Now, Jesus doesn't get into an argument about his own limitations. He just doesn't need to go there. He just comes straight back to. He comes straight back on his original attack. I've got living water. I want to give it to you. 
If you ask me, I'll give it to you. I want to tell you two things about this living water. Number one, it will come up from right inside you. It will come up from within you. It won't come up from this hole in the ground. It will come up from within your heart and mind and soul and body. And number two, it will go on forever, quenching your thirst for life and meaning and purpose and identity. So she calls this bluff. Okay then, give me the water then. So let's think about your friendship with Jesus, shall we? Think about your friendship with Jesus. Maybe you need to call Jesus bluff today. Maybe that's what you actually need to do. For whatever reason, you may have become discouraged or disenchanted or deflated. Maybe you've got lots of questions. Maybe this church thing is just full of impossible limitations for you. Call Jesus bluff today. Ask for the water of life that comes from within. And let's think about how you might be like Jesus. You know, how much do you want to kick back when people have a go at you? When you're trying to talk to them about friendship with Jesus and reality of God and how God wants to come into their life and save them and they have a go at you. How much can you just let that die in the sand and speak life back to them? You know, even in a situation of conflict, confusion, can you sit there thinking, now how can I speak life to this person, my friend or my family member or my neighbor or my work colleague. How can I speak life to them, offer them refresh, refreshment and blessing? Okay, number four. Jesus shows that he knows. Okay, and we're now in verse 60. He told her, he being Jesus, he told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is, is quite true. I mean, this is like, what? <laughs> you know, this is like, what just happened there? Jesus shows that he knows. Now, is it intuitive? You know, does he have a, a gift of, of intuitive understanding of people? Is it something God has spoken to him directly or Maybe it's both happening at the same time. But this is a very powerful moment in any friendship, is it not? 
in any friendship, when, you, when I show that I know you in some meaningful and deep way, it's transformative. And actually, Jesus does this several times in, in the Gospel of John. To Simon, he says, your life is going to change so much, we may as well give you a different name. We're going to rebuild your whole identity and the whole nature of your character. We may, we're going to, you're going to change so much, we may as well rename you. I'm going to call you Peter. That'll be the right name for you now. Brilliant, isn't it? He shows that he knows. With Nathaniel, in chapter 1, Jesus looks into his soul and he says, you are such a good person. You're such a good person. There isn't a shred of deceit in you at all. Calls him out. Speaks it out loud. So transformative to Nathaniel, showing him that he knows him. To Judas, he says, when no one else has a clue what's going on, and I better be careful who I look at now. <laughs> Phil, to Judas, he says, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. <laughs> so let's think about your friendship with Jesus. Jesus wants to show you that he knows you. He wants to speak into all our hearts. It's okay. I know you. I know what's going on. I know where you're at. I know what you're carrying. I know you. And let's think about being like Jesus. And helping people find Jesus. You know, when I'm talking to people like this, this happens to me, you know, not all the time, but it happens disturbingly often. They can cry, but in a really good way. And that's because I've said something that totally gets through to them. You know, was that the Holy Spirit? Was that my gut feeling? Or was that because I took time to really observe them properly and pastorally and kindly? Or was it all of those things? It doesn't really matter. I just want to get to this place. I want to get to the place where other people know that they are known. Partly by me, but mostly by Jesus. That's the place I want to get to. I'm not trying to win an argument. I'm trying to show love. Number five, Jesus opens up his heart to her. We're now in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. 
Woman, Jesus replied, uh, believe me, a, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit. His worshippers must worship in Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now, I am a pastor. For over 30 years, I led the same church in the north of England. And it won't surprise you that Worship is one of our core activities. We, had a, we have still a worship pastor, an incredibly gifted worship team. They lead us and inspire us greatly. But what never ceases to delight me is that this, the most important teaching that Jesus ever gave on worship is given here at this well, before a late lunch, to a woman whose name we never get to know, who appears to have an exceptionally painful past and is still undecided about what she thinks about Jesus. This is just like the conversation Jesus has with a man called Nathaniel. He opens up his heart in this dramatic, fast-moving, deep way. It would appear from this story that engaging in open-hearted, self-revealing, high-trust conversations is what Jesus loves to do. And what he says is, look, worship isn't going to be about place or even about format. Worship is going to be about the deepest part of your heart and life connecting with God directly. Worship is going to be about being in the Spirit and God is seeking people who will connect with him from the deepest part of themselves. And worship isn't going to be about ritual or format. It's going to come from a place of truth. It's not going to be about going through the right motions. It's going to be about pouring out your heart to God in truth. That's what worship's going to be about. It's the most important teaching on the nature of worship from Jesus. And you know, something good always happens to us when someone shares their heart openly with us. Does it not? And you get to this place... Where the, where the person you're talking to is opening up their heart from deep down within, not holding back in any way, not filtering it out, not, not deciding what to say to you, but just saying it all to you. Something good always happens at those moments. And this moves the woman. She gets very near to the the place where Nathaniel, after his experience of this from Jesus, she gets very near the same place as he does. She says, there's a Messiah coming, 
and he will explain everything. And Jesus says, that's me. That, that might be me. In fact, that is me. So let's think about you meeting with Jesus, okay? Let's think about your friendship with Jesus. Jesus wants to share his heart with you. Jesus wants to draw each one of us into a place where you receive life-giving spiritual insight of the highest order. Jesus does not want you feeding off the scraps of yesterday's knowledge. He wants to reveal the depths of truth, the depths of his heart to you. And let's think about being a friend like Jesus, helping other people find Jesus. How trusting are you of others? This is very trusting of Jesus. He just opens up his heart. He doesn't hold back. He's not thinking, oh, this is a bit of a dubious moment. I better be careful. Woof, he goes. How comfortable are you to quickly open up the conversation into your deepest insights? I don't mean preaching from a distance. I mean sharing the depths of your heart with another. Because that is the kind of conversation that Jesus pursues. Number six. We're doing well. We're doing well. Number six. This transforms the woman. We're in verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. You see, all of these things combined completely transform the woman. The spontaneity of the moment. This is not a planned meeting. She's got no time to overthink it. It's all come out of the blue. The way that Jesus treats her with equality, dignity, respect, and kindness. The knowing that she is known, but not judged or condemned in any way. And then the opening up of his heart to her. Trusting her with his deepest and most important thoughts. And then revealing who he really is to her. This is totally transformative of her. Leaving her water jar, she goes back to the town. She says, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? You know, when you show another person that you know what's really going on in their heart and life, when you show them that you know that, it can be very shameful, very destructive. It can be very brutal. But this is none of those things. This is a moment of healing and freedom and transformation. And what's thrilling about this is the way that the woman is able to face her past without any shame. Her story is 
so dysfunctional and difficult. She's had repeated painful failings of committed relationships with the resulting feelings of rejection and shame. That's her story. And most of us try and hide the worst parts of our lives. Not only are we ashamed of them, but when we talk about them, it just brings back the pain. We relive the pain all over again. But this is so different. Jesus takes the woman to a completely new place. She can face her past with freedom and without regret. In the way that Jesus leads her through this, her story has been reframed and she is healed. She says to her neighbors, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. This is not a woman hiding in shame. Going to the well all alone at the wrong time of the day when she knows that no one else will be there. This is a woman who has been released from shame. The pain of the past is gone. What went wrong in her life is still part of her story. But her freedom from shame has become the reason to invite others to meet Jesus. She moves from being an outcast all alone to being a... Come in, come in. Come in. Shall I start again? She moves from being an outcast to being at the very center and heart of everything that's going on. So let's think about you meeting Jesus, shall we? And being a friend of Jesus. Is there shame or pain that needs to be acknowledged but healed in this beautiful way? And let's think about you being like Jesus. Does this sort of stuff happen around you? Come in, come in, come in. We've got some, two more important points to make. Come in, come in, come in. Am I doing all right? Shall I just stop here? Keep going. I'm going to enjoy these next two points. Number one, the male followers of Jesus don't get it. Jesus, sorry, I'm feeling like I need to run around now. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked him, what do you want or Why are you talking with her? Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? It's it's great, isn't it? It's so comical and familiar. They missed it. They missed the moment. They missed the conversation which is probably fortunate because if they had been there 
they would have probably stopped it before it even started. They missed the interesting seminar on the true meaning and practice of worship, all because they felt hungry and couldn't trust somebody else to go and get them some lunch. And now they've come back, they still don't get it. They don't understand what Jesus is doing. They don't understand that these self-revealing, empowering conversations are meat and drink to Jesus. They're what feeds him. They're what energizes him. All they can think of is that somebody must have had a pizza delivered. (laughs) That's their explanation of what must be going on. But, and this is the last point, The female friend of Jesus gets everyone. And we're coming to the end of the story now. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We've now heard for ourselves. We know that this man really is the saviour of the world. The whole village becomes friends of Jesus. The whole village. The outcast person is now right at the heart. And the villagers' faith moves past her testimony to be their own faith. They find Jesus for themselves. And although we never get to know her name, we feel that we know her, we feel so connected to her, we identify with her. She's our friend now as well. Now, is this gender comparison deliberate in the gospel? All the men miss it completely and the woman gets it. Is that gender comparison deliberate in the gospel? Yes. It is. Because the author does it again. He shows us key moments where the women get it and the men miss it. Just before his death in chapter 12, a woman really, really understands what's going on and the men are fretting about the money. In chapter 19 at the cross, there are four women who know exactly what's going on and there are four men putting Jesus to death. And at the resurrection, there's one woman who meets with Jesus in the garden. And there's two men who come and look, scratch their heads, and go away again, presumably for breakfast. Well, make of that what you will. But let's think about you meeting Jesus. Don't miss Jesus because lunch is on your mind.
that's what happened to all the boys. They missed Jesus because lunch was on their minds. Yes. And let's think about being like Jesus. Who needs lunch when you can have conversations like this? So there's a story written for us to meet with Jesus, written for us to receive living water, written for us to be totally transformed. Maybe you're feeling lonely and on your own and you don't know where to turn to. Well, turn to Jesus who is here to meet with you. Maybe you're feeling dry or empty. Maybe you feel like you've given everything you can. Maybe you know that the life of God is not bubbling up from within you. Well, turn to Jesus and ask him for a drink. Maybe you're feeling broken. Maybe you look back. There's just so much wreckage and disappointment and failure and pain. You don't think anything could change. Well, come to Jesus who loves you dearly and has living water of forgiveness, freedom, healing, grace, and transformation. And here is a story that you can follow and be like Jesus. When someone steps into the space of your life, what do they encounter from you? Amen.